Good morning. Uh, my name is Tom, for those who don't know me, and along with my wife Ash, we are site pastors for Central Vineyard over in Wellingborough. And it is a real joy and a privilege and an honour just to share the Word of God together this morning. And we're coming to the end of a series called Know Your Enemy. The, the premise of this teaching series is this, that there is a real enemy who is out to destroy the human race. Why? Because we are God's image bearers and his chosen agents, the ones he loved, um, to see his kingdom come across all the earth and all of creation and see it um, his way. To use Jesus' language, this enemy comes to kill, steal and destroy. And comes in some common guises. These are words you might have heard in and around church if you've been around Christianity for any length of time. So the world, the flesh and the devil. John Mark Homer, who is an American pastor, a quite well-known teacher, words it like this. He said, the strategy of the devil is to sow seeds of deceitful ideas that play to disordered desires in us that are normalised in a sinful society. What does that mean? Actually, the, 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 the plan of the enemy is to get us as humans to believe half-truths or outright lies if he has to, uh, that we embrace because our desires have been muddled up in a way that isn't the way God intended. And actually, that we then live in a world that is sinful, that embraces that disorderedness. And the things that shouldn't be are the things that are now normal and right. And this morning we're going to look at the flesh. And I want to start with a phrase that you may know, which is, the heart wants what it wants. One person who famously used this line is uh, an American director and writer called Woody Allen. Uh, he, he used it in the context of a 1993 interview, um, which was in part about him sleeping with his adopted daughter, Sun Lee. There was a 35-year age gap between them. Uh, and four years after this interview, in 1997, they got married. And there was this just odd scenario where uh, the dad of these adopted children also became their brother-in-law. And the sister of these adopted kids also became their stepmom. So very messed up. And throughout this interview, the interviewer presses Woody Allen about whether this is right or wrong. And Allen refuses to say at any point that it might be wrong. His closing statement on the, the issue was this, the heart wants what it wants. And in our culture, it feels like that idea, those similar phrases are becoming more and more common. You know, the heart wants what it wants. Uh, you do you, you know, those kind of phrases. But biblically, when we talk about the heart in scripture, the word that is used is the flesh. Turn with me um, to Ephesians 2. We're going to read Ephesians 2 from uh, verses 1 to 5. And it says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings and desires of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, 
made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. So there's the, that, that wording there about the flesh, actually, that it's gratifying our cravings. And it's um, filling us with desire and thoughts. Now, flesh in this context, flesh doesn't mean like a body, like literal flesh, or uh, maybe our ethnicity in other parts of the Bible. That's the context. But actually, the context Paul is using here in Romans 7, he calls sinful passions. And Peter, in 1 Peter 2, calls it corrupt desires. That, that is the flesh. Theologian W.E. Vine calls the flesh the seat of sin in man. It is kind of a, a fallen human nature. It's full of pride, it's self-willing. And ultimately, underneath it all, when you, you strip away all the stuff, it's the very same problem that grabbed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when the serpent came and said, if you eat of this fruit, you will be like God. And they said, okay. It's that desire. Actually, that the, for some reason, it's not enough for us to live God's way and be his loved ones, to be his appointed agents to bring his kingdom about in the world. Actually, underneath it or somewhere, there is a part of us that wants to be God, make decisions and live up to our desires. This thing, the flesh, is kind of a human condition. And it's a very, it's a theological reality, but in society, it's kind of stopped being talked about in this way. And some of that's because increasingly we push away authority. So, you know, we oppose uh, government and police and the church and, uh, and parents in modern society. You know, the Bible isn't authoritative. No, we couldn't believe that. And some of this stems from Freud. Um, this is, uh, so I'm going to talk about philosophy, theology and psychology really, really quickly because we haven't got time to go in it that, that deeply. Um, but prior to Freud, there was um, a church father called Augustine who said that our, the problem of the flesh stems from our disordered loves. Actually, that as human beings, we're made in God's image in love and for love. So actually, we are lovers first and we're thinkers second. And the problem for us with the flesh is that we love, either love the wrong things or we love the right things, but in the wrong order. For example, and just to make a really simple example, you know, you, you love your kids, but maybe you love your career more. Well, that's going to cause issues between you and your kids. And it's about saying yes to the right desires and no to the wrong desires so that those loves can be ordered correctly. And these ideas were passed down through mental maps um, over generations and generations from parent to kid. You know, they might come from parents or from the church or from society as a whole, that there are right and wrong desires. Freud looked at things slightly differently, and this is thinking that has really come to, I think, greatly influence the West and the way we think. So Freud didn't base his idea on um, made in, us made in the image of God, but on, on Darwin's um, evolution thinking. That we are just animals, and we're not made or created for love and by love, but actually we're just the result of time and chance. And he said that actually our deepest desires 
in a sense, are our libido. These are the things that bring us pleasure. And without satisfying this libido, we become unhappy. So on one hand, the one hand, we have Augustine, who says we're image bearers with disordered loves. And when those, those uh, loves run amok, we suffer. Freud, on the other hand, said we're more like animals. Uh, we're just with these desires, this libido. And when we repress those desires, we suffer. One blames disorder and the other blames the repression of self. Now, our culture is increasingly and potentially violently buying into this idea of be true to yourself. But when you say to me, be true to yourself, and we're talking about the flesh, the question becomes, well, which self? Which self are you going to be true to? Just a, a really simple image of this. Uh, when we go to our local co-op, you queue in the island. On the one side, there are magazines. So, you know, things like uh, GQ or Men's Health and stuff, where there's just really like guys that I look and go, man, I oh, wish I had good looks like that. And on the other side uh, is the sweets and the chocolate and all that stuff. And it's just this odd thing because... Uh, if I'm in the right frame of mind, which is rarely ever, to be fair, there's this kind of battle. Do I want to look like Chris Evans as Captain America or do I want to eat chocolate? Those two things are mutually exclusive because to get the physique like Chris Evans in uh, Captain America, he wasn't going around scoffing dairy milk. Yeah. So within me, the same me, there are these two competing things that want two different things. Now, these are just, that's just a little simple idea to try and help summarize it, but actually it gets more serious than that because it's, you know, we want to be faithful to our spouse, yet we fantasize about the woman at work or the man at work. We want to live a life of prayer, yet we binge Netflix late into the night. We want to be generous with what we have, but actually we're busy putting away everything we possibly can for that next big house with the extra garage. You know, all these things that um, we want to master our sexual desire, yet we sit and watch pornography most evenings. And this idea of a battle within us, I know it's not just a Christian idea, I think most people would agree with it. Uh, I remember watching an interview um, with Matthew Perry, who played Chandler in Friends, and this is on YouTube, it's from like the mid-90s, when he was kind of at the height of fame. Um, and I don't know how this story came about, but it's part of the interview. He was saying he was watching pornography one evening, there's a whole story that gives this more context, but he was watching pornography once, one evening, and when he finished masturbating, and just to put it bluntly, immediately he turned off the pornography because he found it abhorrent. So there's these two desires within us. All humans, I think, would agree. Now, what's true, but sometimes doesn't help us, is that our strongest desires are not our deepest desires. So actually, in temptation, our strongest desires are to, are to sin, by and large, to gossip, to slander, to lust, to, to whatever. But if you step away from that moment of temptation, actually, I would say, and I think many of us would say, that we want to be with and be like Christ and full of the Spirit. And actually, I think this thing, be true to yourself, when you're battling different selves, is terrible advice. And it leads, ultimately, to a kind of enslavement to our feelings and our desires. 
Turn with me to Galatians 5. So that's just a few pages back if you've got a paper and Bible. I'm going to read verse 1. It says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And then we're going to skip through because of time to verse 13. It says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, uh, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. That's not a complete list. Paul's saying there is more than that. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit let us not become conceited provoking and envying one another what's paul's message here don't give in to the desires of the flesh live by the spirit so what do we do one common trend thought i had when i was younger so what am i now i'm coming up to 33, I think, 33. But when I was younger and a teenager, um, just to be honest here for a minute, I had an addiction to pornography because it was just springing up on the internet everywhere. And it was part of me that thought, you know, one day I will just mature and it won't be an issue anymore. Or a big thing will happen in life. You know, the classic for that is I'll get married, I'll be able to have sex, the pornography thing will stop. But it's just not that simple. You won't just mature without intention. A big life change may not change your behavior. Actually, the thing many of us need to do to battle the flesh is to take action. So the first thing I'd encourage us to do is to confess our sins in community and to begin to get comfortable with this as an idea. This is something the church did for centuries. And in the rise of and, and, you know, the Enlightenment, we've forgotten how to do it. And I think actually, interestingly, underneath all that, the reason that we don't do it is because we think in church we have to keep a certain appearance of doing well. What's that? That is a fleshly desire. It's not a God desire that we keep back our sin and live with it and fester with it. No. God isn't about us keeping up our appearances. Actually, he says, you know what? 
Deny yourself and follow Christ. Take up your cross daily. He, he's, his, God's language is about our health, not about our appearance. So let's get together and begin safely and you know properly, get in huddles with people, friends that you know and love, and begin to confess your sins and talk about them. Why? Because actually there's when you talk about them, you shine a light on them, and you can begin to do something about them. The next I would say you could do some fasting. Fasting is an interesting one, and I have to say, you know, seek medical advice if you need to. But fasting from food is interesting. Why? Because it's taking something from the flesh and saying, I'm going to give this up because I'm not dependent upon the flesh. I'm dependent upon God, and I want to put him first, and I want to reorder my desires to put him first. Maybe you need to change your inputs. So things like... Um, less Netflix and just to we can get quite legalistic about stuff so again use pornography as an example I am now super careful what I watch if we start watching a series on Netflix or Amazon Prime wherever and there's topless you know there's a topless scene and I'm not I'm out because I don't want to have my inputs being one things that tempt me I need to get rid of them. And it doesn't just go for pornography. Actually, if we're watching TV series and fantasizing about the characters, and I wish my husband or my wife was more like this, and that's feeding our bitterness towards them, then that's an input we need to change. Or maybe it's friends you see that encourage you to gossip, or you know, friends who encourage you to gamble or to drink or whatever. Just begin to change our inputs. And lastly then, this is Paul's exhortation to us in Galatians 5. Live by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Now this is kind of becoming a heavy talk. <laughs> um, but I'd say this, none of us are the finished article. None of us are. And if you think you're the finished article, 1 John, John tells us that actually the only thing we do when we think we're the finished article is we deceive ourselves and we lie to ourselves. The truth is Jesus has enough grace for us he knows that we have to mature towards him. It's not just an overnight thing and a change. There's enough grace for us, but that what we have to remember is that that grace was not cheap. It was bought by his blood on the cross. And the flesh does appear to be part of the human condition, but actually let's walk towards Jesus and maturing in him. Actually, so that we think more conscientiously about what are our deepest desires versus our strongest. And how can we resist those strongest desires? You know, seek trusted friends. Talk to your spouse or your partner about some of this stuff. And I'd say this, please do not feel condemned by anything I've said this morning. I've got my stuff going on. You've probably got your stuff going on. Jesus knows that stuff. He doesn't condemn us. We might be convicted of sin. That's the work of the Spirit. That's good for changing us, for Jesus to transform us. Um, but actually, don't be condemned. If you're feeling condemned and like you are not good enough, I'll tell you right now, that is one of those lies of the devil that we talked about at the beginning. Actually, Jesus died so that you could follow him. Now, I'm going to pray quickly to close. I'm going to pray Particularly, you know, talking about Paul's language about the Spirit. For some of you, you've maybe not received the Holy Spirit. So as we pray, um, I'll pray for that and some other things. So Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that 
Your grace is sufficient for our struggles against the flesh. But I thank you that you don't want us to um, stay living in a way that just indulge the flesh, that you have a better plan for us. Holy Spirit, would you come to each one of us now? And would you just do a work in each of us? Would you show us where we are giving into the flesh? Would you highlight to us people that we can talk to about um, these things that we are struggling with so that we can begin to deal with them? So Holy Spirit, would you fall afresh on each person and for the first time for some would they receive you? And I, I pray for, for a, a blessing on each one of us here. Uh, would we know you with us? Would we know your protection and your goodness and your kindness, but also your transformation in the weeks ahead? In Jesus' name, amen.